He was the grandson of America's pastor, Dr. Billy Graham. He was a best-selling author and a megachurch pastor until it all came crashing down. Hear the raw and unflinching message about desperation and deliverance from Tulian Chavidjan, the grandson of Dr. Billy Graham. He reveals his moral failure and fall from grace. His story will inspire you. This Sunday, May 19th at Life Austin, 8901 Highway 71 at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, go to life.family. The Todd and Oz Show is live. Get in on the conversation at 512-836-0590. Now, here are Todd and Oz. Yeah. Jump in here, 512-836-0590. Here on the Todd and Oz Show. Let me squeeze in Rob real quick and kind of... I'll kind of uh, wrap up some of the conversation we were having about uh, the Austin Animal Center. Uh, they're waiving some of the fees because, well, they got an overcrowding problem. And, and they posted a bunch of pictures of dogs they're trying to find homes for. And, well, every one of them is some sort of pit bull mix. And that's uh, that's kind of concerned some folks out there. Uh, Rob is in Kyle. Good morning, Rob. Good morning. Yes. Great. What's on your mind? Well, I had to completely agree with your sentiment there, Todd, about uh, getting one of these pit crosses. Uh, you know, people love their pits. They love to hate them. I mean, I've been around pits my whole life. My dad had them all, the whole time I was growing up. My mom had uh, pits. Uh, great dogs. Been around them a long time. Uh, you know, and, you know, the people who say that, well, you have to train them right. You have to do this. I worked at a training kennel for three years. I worked at a vet clinic for another year when I was in college. And I won't have a pet. Um, God forbid it ever bit somebody and, you know, the people come out of the woodwork and, you know, saying you, you have a wild animal in your backyard, you might as well have a tiger. You know, <clears throat> I don't want to take the liability and I don't want to have something happen. You know, I've got kids, I've got, you know, I've got a grand, grandkid on the way and uh, I just won't have it. Yeah, it's just too risky. I mean, I, I understand that some people are very good with pit bulls, but if you're, uh, you got a wife and a couple of kids at home, it's it's it it shouldn't that's probably not the best choice of being your first dog to bring home as the family pet. It's it's just it's just too unpredictable when you get a dog at an animal shelter. I completely agree. Yeah. Like I said, I've been around a lot of pets, and you know, every one of them uh, at least at the minimum killed a cat. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and listen, all dogs can bite. All dogs are unpredictable, and all dogs can break the skin in a, in a bite. Right? Sure. I, I get that. The problem, though, is the power that the pit bull has when it locks onto yep. you. They it's, do have quite the bite force. They cause a lot of damage when they bite. Mm-hmm. Compared to a, a chihuahua is probably going to bite you more, but it's not going to do the damage that a pit bull would do. Right. Removing a limb. Well, and, I mean, I've, I've been bitten by a lot of dogs in my, my career as a younger man. And, yeah, I've been bitten by labs and German shepherds. They typically bite and let go a pit. You know, they, they don't lock necessarily, but they have extremely strong jaws, and they will clamp on and start doing that terrier shake and it, you know, they rip out big chunks of meat yeah well listen the city of austin has been dealing with an issue of, of dog bites they've seen a rash of dog bites lately especially at the animal shelter that's why they're going to this dunbar scale of right. uh, on a scale of one to six i think it is yes one yes. to six six being very dangerous one being potential to be dangerous but hasn't really bit anyone or another animal yet right i believe six they actually have potentially killed someone already that's which, is, a, which is why I don't even know there's a debate about that at that point. Listen, these groups are not doing a good job promoting what they do. No, they're period. Really they're really not. Period. Not, period. Uh, Bill, good morning. Hey, Bill. Hey. I can barely hear you. Go I ahead, Bill. Talk, I want to talk to you about a pit bull. Yes, sir. Sorry. Oh, Bill, we, yeah, you're, you're going through the tunnel there, and Kyle, they put that new tunnel in, and... 
they didn't think about the reception when people are driving through that tunnel in Kyle. I blame Elon Musk mm-hmm. for that. It could be. Let's see. You there, Bill? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, well, we lo- we're losing you, man. There's yeah. something with the with your signal out there. All right. Uh, listen, you could join us at 512-836-0590. The Austin Police Department has uh, discovered a dead man in a field. Uh, this is off of US-183, not too far from the airport. Mm-hmm. Well, the APD uh, shut down southbound lanes of the highway between, uh, uh, what's the name of the street? Well, it was over by Metropolis this morning. Metropolis Drive uh, near kind of Metropolis and McCall. Maybe they area. mean Metropolis. No, there? there's a Metropolis over there. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Metropolis Drive and McCall Lane. And apparently uh, the authorities were initially alerted about this abandoned vehicle in a field mm-hmm. about 2.30 this morning. Well, officials with the APD said due to the staffing and the nature of the call, they were not able to send anybody out there for at least an hour. Think about that. Investigators say they immediately found an adult man uh, with uh, a penetrating trauma uh, when they arrived on the scene, and he was uh, pronounced dead. So here you have a situation, a dead person, or, you know, what what if the person wasn't even dead? What if they just had significant trauma that required help? So the APD gets their support at 2.30. The cop, they don't even get on the scene there till I think a little after three thirty, well, and s- it's not their fault. Hang on a second, I think it's they just had a report of a vehicle in a field, right? But but nobody got a. They didn't know they had a body until they went out there to check on the vehicle okay, in the right. field. That's right. that's what I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe that's. But still, even so, I mean, it took them an hour or a little more than an hour to get there, and APD says it's because we just we just don't have enough. You know, enough, enough people on staff. At that point, it's just a car in the field, right? I mean, that's. I mean, you want to go check it out, but they, I guess they didn't realize what they had on their hands. Perhaps. Wow. But I mean, uh, I, I. Well, yeah, I guess they did mention something about the nature of the call. So I, you know, you're right. I, I, I had that wrong a little bit, but even still, uh, they they did mention that due to staffing, they weren't able to send an officer for about an hour. Yeah. And that, to me, that's that's very telling that that we've we've got a problem in APD in a city that's supposed to be the tenth largest in the nation. Yeah. Penetrating trauma. What's that? Like a gunshot, a stab, okay. something like that. I don't think we know what happened, right? Guy was murdered. Uh, well, maybe not. You don't think so? Well, it may have been suicide. Oh, it could have been. Right. I mean, that's what it sounds like. That's, that's what it more sounds like to me. Well, I don't know. The only reason I went to that first is because we've had a few few stories recently where, where people have been found shot by others inside their car somewhere on the road. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. What a shocking situation. I mean, uh, can't even get out there to, to, to check out the incident just because of staffing shortages. That's not good. Yeah. Well, 2.30 in the morning. I, it's, I mean, an hour. I, but like you said, I mean, it, it really was, I guess, initially just a, a, an abandoned car. So yeah. it, it didn't sound like it was as concerning. And then they made the, the grisly discovery. Yeah. yeah. All right, listen, it is uh, 9-10. You could jump in here at 512-836-0590. And and, uh, listen, the the city of Georgetown is on the verge of running out of drinking water. This is a a pretty interesting story. I mean, this is, Georgetown's been a booming city for years. It's been one of those fast-growing cities, you know, at the top of many surveys and lists. Well, uh, they're on the verge of running out of water. Yeah, this is according to a, a, a study that was commissioned by the city, and uh, indicates that Georgetown is on pace uh, to run out of water by 2030 if they don't do something fast. Well, Georgetown, the fastest growing city in the United States, according to uh, most of the census numbers. And, well, uh, it registered more than 85,000, uh, 86,500 folks in 2022, only 75,000 in 2021. 
So what's that? That's a double digit increase. And uh, and they say that the the growth of the city is is outpacing their water uh, needs or outpacing the water uh, you know that they have. And they get water from a variety of sources, mm-hmm. Lake Travis, Lake Georgetown. Uh, you know, in, in Lake Belton as well. Yeah. And now they're looking to find another source for water for the city of Georgetown. Sounds like they better get on it quick then. Uh, I, I mean, there's a... Uh, that's six years away. That's a crunch time. It'll be here before you know it. They're, they're it, saying that Georgetown will be out of water. I mean, think about that. I mean, it takes it takes years, you know, to, to, to solve that kind of problem for some cities, right? You got a bond package, you got to vote. There's going to be some kind of water board meeting, right? This, you know, public input. In other words, government's going to get in the way. Government is going to get in the way, and it's going to take forever. Yeah, yeah. I, I, they, if they, if this is really what's going to happen, then then you would think that there would be more, uh, you know, more people kind of running around going, "Look, we've got to find new ways because we're going to be out." And after six years, this city, what what city can stand without water? It's true. And I kind of, I guess, I, I would tend to believe it when you look at the when you look at Lake Travis right now, when you look at the fact that how little rain we got all last summer we're still not we haven't got much rain yet and we may not get much this summer i mean i, I believe it 917 here on the Todd and Oz show you can join us at 512-836-059 let me squeeze in uh let me squeeze in chuck hey chuck good morning good morning yes sir I just wanted to uh, call in and share my experience voting Democrat on Friday for the very first time. That was your first experience. Uh, the first time you voted as a Democrat. Okay. I did indeed. All right. And uh, believe me, when I went in and punched the Democrat button right off the bat, yeah. I mean, I my skin was crawling and yeah. I couldn't believe it. But uh, once I got over to my machine and plugged in my ballot, and Joe Biden popped up right off the bat. Uh, I saw the possibility of voting against uh, all of those Democrats, which I did. Uh, for president, I voted for Starlock. For U.S. Senate, I voted for Comrade Thierry Chinko. Uh, for Representative District 37, instead of Lloyd Doggett, I got Eduardo Lalito Romero. Wow. He's a good one. And, of yeah. course... I, I got down to DA, and uh, Comrade Garza was weighing heavy on my mind, and I got to cast my vote for Jeremy Silistein, and I just wound up thoroughly enjoying the experience. Silistein seems like a good guy. He really does. No, he seems yeah, like at I least think- like a, a law and order guy. Yeah. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, not Chuck, but uh, I heard over the weekend that DA Garza was was – Organizing with his his student organizers, he can only get kids to show up to his block walking <laughs> events where he, they knock on doors and try to get people to vote for him. But apparently, this uh, this group called the uh, the WTFers mm-hmm. what does that stand for? The Wind Therapy Freedom Riders. Okay, they're they're kind of a motorcycle club. <laughs> yeah, they're a club. Yeah, and, and apparently they showed up to the park where DA Garza and his constituents were gathering to begin their block walking. And the W2Fers were going to walk behind them and knock on the same doors <laughs> to give them a different perspective on DA Garza. And, uh-huh. uh, and and when they were confronted by the WTFers, apparently Garza decided to just end the event completely and they went home. No block. Well, no, that sounds about right. No block walking today. Yeah. Hopefully the blue glass wearing. Uh, All right. All right. <laughs> Tell now, us how you now, really feel. Now, Chuck, man, from the top turnbuckle there. Yeah, Man, he's not milk toast at all. Yeah. Chuck, you do realize that's going to get you a different kind of junk mail? You know that, right? 
now that you voted as a Democrat, you, they get completely different junk mail. That's uh, bad. I don't know if you knew that or not. You know, uh, Garza has been running a lot. Uh, he's spending a lot of money, apparently, because it seemed like every commercial break over the weekend was was Jose Garza and his glasses and his thing talking about how he's being trolled on social media by uh, extreme MAGA trolls. Mm. Oh, my God. You know, and... and uh, I thought it's very clearly their campaign and all of his supporters are terrified yeah. because Celestine is a legitimate contender here. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's a, con- I, he's a, you know, this will be hard for some, some people will laugh when I say this, but he seems to be a common sense Democrat. Yeah. He I, likes police, wants to be tough on criminals. And DA Garza has a horrible reputation of being soft and allowing criminals back out on the streets only to commit more crimes. That's right. That's right. He's a sleaze. He's more interested in criminal rights than victim justice. But Jeremy Silistein, he's completely different. He actually worked in D.A. Garza's office, saw some of the tomfoolery that was going on, and decided to quit and get out of there. Yeah. And then run for office against him. I, I think that, what you know, in, in this, this is one of those cases where I, I think a lot of people are willing to put their the betterment of the city over their own personal politics because you know, a lot of people are going to look at D next to Celestine's name and go, well yeah you're still a Democrat I mean you know there are different degrees you know I mean you've got you've got Garza who is an extreme example of everything that's wrong with society right now and, and so and the thing- you can you can scale that back to to a more centrist area and a Democrat you know we've had Democrat DAs in Travis County since whatever pretty much so. Well, it won't be anything different, but at least we'll get a guy that seems like, like you said, common sense. He's a law and order guy. Yeah. And, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't just pull suits off the rack at Walmart. It is uh, 921. Jump in here at 512-836-0590. Uh, Vanessa Fuentes, uh, she's on the Austin City Council. What's, uh, what she, seat does she have? She's two, I believe. Seat two. Uh, well, climate change is a big issue for her. It's a big local issue for her. It's the biggest local issue for her. She's hell-bent on solving, uh, well, she's hell-bent on saving the planet here locally. And everything she does here in Austin is going to save the planet. Uh, and she's, she, she posted on X, is climate change a local issue? Uh, the short answer is yes. So let's talk climate, specifically about the Fayette Power Plant and the Resource Generation Plan. Here's what she had to say. So not long ago, Austin Energy began updating their long-term plans. They want to take a closer look at their operations and make tweaks to how we meet our goals. This is the resource generation plan. One of these goals is to be carbon emissions free by 2035. So what's Austin Energy's proposal? A new methane gas plant that one day, maybe eventually, will be converted to a hydrogen powered plant. And I won't sugarcoat it. This project would be way too expensive, take too long to build, and oh could gosh. lead to even more pollution. Do you think this aligns with our vision? I don't think so. I and the community have questions. Does this help us meet our 2035 goals? And what about the coal-burning Fayette Power Plant, which is responsible for over 80% of Austin Energy's emissions? Well, no, it's 80. It was supposed to- wow, that's, uh, that's, that's big. It's gone up 5% since Kirk Watson wrote that Watson one. You're telling me we could save the planet by shutting down the Fayette Power Plant? That's what she says. It's providing 80% of our pollution here locally. And if we could solve it locally, we know we could save the planet. So Austin gets out of the plant, let's say. All right? What? She thinks it's going to stop running? Is she, that what she thinks? She thinks. Because that's not what's going to happen. That's not what's going to happen. It's going to continue running. That's it's going right. to continue polluting. So we just now, what, 
probably miss out on a lot of revenue generation, stuff like that. We probably would have intermittent outages. Austin Energy already, I don't trust. Oh, you shut down the Fayette power plant, your electric bill will go through the roof, Mm -hmm. and you will experience the occasional blackouts. We'll be in California. It'll be light living in California. Hang on a second. The kids are talking again. Shut down two years ago. Well, I'm really glad that the mayor has called for the closure of this plant by 2029. I think we could do better. Fossil fuels are killing our planet, and we need to go all out. I'm talking about investing in battery storage, local solar energy, and other types of renewable energy. Which brings us to last week. My colleague, Councilmember Ryan Alter, introduced an ambitious environmental investment plan. This takes a serious look at how we can speed up our climate-related projects and meet the moment to the scale that is needed. And this is going to take using every tool and resource to truly lead our city to a more resilient community. We are at a crossroads right now, and we owe it to our community and future generations to get this right. That's all for now. What do you think? Yeah. We need to talk. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, what do you think? Uh, there you go. Uh, 512-836-0590. So. I, I see one, maybe, well, only one a council member that I can really think of that consistently focuses on local issues, things that actually are going to matter to you right now, today and tomorrow and a year from now in Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. and trying to go after a power plant, trying to force everything, uh, you know, focus all this stuff on climate. Mm. That's not, you're not going to fix anything. We could, we could do it across this entire country. It's not fixing anything because the, re- the rest of the globe's not going to do this, or at least the, the major polluters. So here we are uh, uh, yet again. We've got Vanessa Fuentes worrying about something that, no, is not local because uh, you, you, have, you have people that are still languishing in, in uh, you know, uh, homeless camps on the green belt and things right. like that. You're not focusing on any of that. You're spending your money on all the ridiculous places. You've got like a $5.5 billion budget. Do something locally. She wants to put our our energy source at risk while uh, other ki- countries are polluting even more. Think about that. She says we're going to solve the climate crisis by addressing this issue locally. And the reality is that's just a flat-out lie. Mm-hmm. That's just not the truth whatsoever. That's like a child talking. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, Becky uh, responded in the uh, ex-Twitterverse uh, underneath uh, Vanessa's fo- host here. Asking the question, what playbook are you reading from? The DSA or climate activist? Uh, OG says, get on a plane and fly to China and India and spread their, spread that message over there. They pollute the most. Uh, how about tell us about the uh, biomass plant the city purchased and wasted $460 million on? <laughs> she has no idea what that is. It, it, she's just... I. I She's not focused on on anything that's going to help us here. What about cops? You know, what about contracts? Stuff like that. Give us something that matters. Everything that she talks about and wants to do makes the city more unaffordable. Absolutely, no doubt about it. For the constituents that she says she's trying to save, we got to get off fossil fuels. She says, "Let's get off fossil fuels," and China says, "Hold my beer." Mm -hmm. They're building more plants. Mm -hmm. They're digging more. 931 here on the Todd and Oz Show. Jump in at 512-836-0590. Austin Travis County EMS has found itself operating some of its stations from apartment complexes in the area. Now, Austin EMS President uh, Zelina Shee, the president of the union there, tells KXAN the population growth has forced them to think outside the box, but she's... 
Well, she says it's not a 100% appropriate place for, uh, you know, kind of a public uh, health safety facility. And she says um, there's also some security concerns. And somebody could really easily vandalize these trucks. Um, and we have little garages where we store equipment, and somebody has vandalized that. Yeah, four apartment complexes are currently playing host to an EMS station, including one in Bee Cave, one in Maynard, and uh, two in the Lakeway area. I guess they, they pay rent. I'm and sure some of do. these have their own little garage, I guess, some of these apartments. And I guess that's where they're staging, if you will. Yeah, uh, I guess uh, in that KXAN story, they mentioned that uh, the EMS, Austin Travis County EMS told them that they're, they're, because the county's growing in ways we've never seen, some areas uh, are forcing them to find additional fire apparatus to, to help them uh, uh, effectively keep up with the growth and they have to reclaim some space that was previously occupied by EMS uh, and they have to move into apartment complexes because they've, you know, they've got nowhere else to go. Hmm. So th- kind of like what, you know, that the last segment we were talking about, the city council's always focused on stuff that really doesn't affect us here. Uh, and if they do, they're doing it very divisively. Here's a, here's an issue that I think the Austin city council might want to address. Typically they're parked at hospitals, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, 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 I guess this is working. Yeah, so uh, I guess it's like a couple couple of paramedics. Uh, I think it would be like in a hotel room while they're on on duty. You mean an apartment? I mean, yeah. Pardon me, uh, an apartment uh, while they're on duty. Uh, but of course, if that's like their office, right? But think about this. You know, if if they're in a station, they've got that ambulance right out in front. Or as if they're in an apartment, you know, maybe they've got a, a longer distance they've got to travel to get to the ambulance and uh, things like that. So. It just seems to me the city could maybe spend a little money here to, to not have our EMS. I'm trying to find the problem out. here. Because I want, my, I want my first responders working out of an official station. Yeah. Right? Cops I, work out of substations, right? I mean, yeah, maybe, substations. Maybe, maybe the EMS could station at the fire stations. I mean, what about, a, uh, what about issues with like... I mean, technically, you just want the ambulance to get there fast. That's what you want. You want the ambulance to get to you fast and get you to a hospital fast. And if they're in that apartment near you, they may be able to get to you faster. Maybe, maybe. But what, what about all the other people that are living there? They're just, you know, I mean, I, I have to imagine sometimes EMS operations as they're rushing in and out could be a little disruptive and I'll, I'll do respect, obnoxious, you know, to, to the residents living there. It just seems like there are better places for our first response. Now, I'm not knocking EMS because it sounds like they feel like they don't have any, really any, any other options right now. Right. It may be the best option at this point. So I think this is the city's fault yet again. I feel like there is a city council shortcoming here that has led to us not having enough space for... Time out. Time out. What is an EMS station? I know what a fire station is. What's an EMS well, maybe, station? Well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm using the wrong phrasing because uh, I know there are a lot of EMS that operate out of fire stations, but some... but. Uh, they don't have enough. I mean, that sounds to me like they may not even have enough fire stations. Well, that may be a, that may be a problem too, right? Well, that's been an ongoing. I know they've built maybe five, uh, five new I'm stations over the past I, several I, years. I, you know, I, to be honest with you, I'm trying to figure out what the problem is with this story. I think this is just what they got to do based on the you know the finances, availability, and the growth of uh, the the neighborhoods, growth of the community, the new subdivisions. You know, the the ambulances are now closer, right? I don't know. It's just it's it seems very bush league, uh, you know. It's not it's not it's not official official. I want I want an official station where my first responders have access to all the resources they need and things things like. And, and at the same time, they're not, you know, they they're not possibly running the risk of of uh, getting tripped up by traffic in the apartment complex or running to an ambulance that's parked a distance away or 
disrupting the lives of people that are living there. Seems like there are a lot of reasons not to do this as well. Maybe it's helpful, yeah. you know, for, for some people in the nearby area. But here's uh, here's one texter that uh, says, "I'm a paramedic and I'm working out of an apartment. Uh, is nothing new. Did it for years in the city of El Paso." Uh, I think you know some of you know apartment complexes allow police to stay there. They you do, know, you know, to you know. I've had a cop neighbor. He lived below me one time, and and I think that he got a, a pretty discounted rent. Get a little discount yeah. on the rents, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, jump in at five one two eight three six zero five ninety. Listen, the uh, social media companies are defending their uh, their right to moderate user content uh, at their own discretion including political speech arguments, and they're arguing this before the Supreme Court this hour. And the Supreme Court will decide if the state laws that have been put in place in Texas and in Florida can take the power out of uh, tech executives' hands in deciding which users... Well, get uh, get censored or not. The central question here really is whether the government can tell social media platforms like Meta and TikTok how to make editorial decisions about their content. The cases involve a pair of laws enacted by Florida and Texas. They prohibited the platforms from banning politicians or in Texas's case, removing users based on political viewpoint. Two big tech trade associations argue the First Amendment protects social media companies, which means the government cannot tell them what to publish, they say. Now, on the other hand, Florida and Texas argue these platforms are so large that they're more like an airline or a utility, a common carrier, mm. and anti-discrimination laws should apply to them. Well, a decision from the nation's high court is not expected until uh, sometime later this summer. Now, uh, Henry Charles Whitaker, he's the solicitor general for, uh, for Florida and making the case. Now that they host the communications of billions of users, they sing a very different tune. They now say that they are in fact editors of their user speech, rather like a newspaper. They contend that they possess a broad First Amendment right to censor anything they host on their sites. Yeah, tech companies have rejected the accusations of political bias, and we all know that that's just a flat-out lie when they reject Absolutely. that, right? We, we all collectively know this. Mm -hmm. uh, they argue the laws infringe on their First Amendment right to determine what content is best for their platforms. The problem is, is they're trying to determine what's best for the country. And in their political beliefs, they're trying to sway elections. Right. Facebook spent more than $200,000 in Georgia. If this were just an issue of private companies wanting to, uh, you know, decide what sort of content gets on and does not get on, then, you know, they might have an argument that, yeah, well, listen, we're just a private company. This is what we want to do. But you're right. It's been used to to censor viewpoints, to sway uh, elections and opinion. Uh, it, it's been used very nefariously. Sure. And, and companies like Meta, Facebook, I mean, they absolutely were complicit. In You've all been censored by yeah. social media. No doubt. And, and, and it may not be, and here's the other thing, there's two sides of this. Censoring your voice, cutting you off, blocking your post, altering your post, that kind of thing. That's one thing. But keeping certain information from you is also a form of a threat to your First Amendment rights mm -hmm. because you can't create or come up with your own, you know, objective opinion if you're not able to see everything that's out there. That's right. So it is kind of a, a threat to your First Amendment right. Yeah, I, I mean, there, there are a lot of arguments to be made about that, too. And, and I think that, you know, we've got this, this law here in Texas, House Bill 20. It, would, it you know, mandates that tech companies disclose how they, you know, curate all their content. And... Uh, 
a ruling, you know, the wrong way could really yeah. up in that that law. It sounds like these big tech companies they want their cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. They want the free speech, but yet they want to be seen as a social media giant. They want to be both, and uh, and and I don't think they're going to be able to. Uh, I I don't I don't either. I, it, if they had been better stewards of their of, of the users, then perhaps you know they might have more support. But I mean, all, all social media companies have really we've we've jumped on board there to and then we've allowed them to just mm-hmm. you know basically just sway this and that and and sell our data and all that fun stuff. Oh god, they've not been they've not been good to us. You should see what uh, Facebook is accused of in other countries, mm-hmm. starting coups, things like that. <laughs> 946 here on the Todd and Oz Show. Yeah, you can jump in here at 512-836-0590. The trial of two former Williamson County Sheriff's deputies accused of manslaughter related to the 2019 in-custody death. Uh, Well, the trial begins uh, this morning. In March of 2019, Javier Ambler, he died after deputies used uh, a stun gun on him. Uh, The deputies were identified as James Johnson and Zachary Camden. And according to the indictments, Camden and Johnson, uh, according to the prosecution, acted recklessly in restraining and using a stun gun on Ambler, which occurred uh, despite Ambler saying he could not breathe and had a health condition. He also had a warrant for his arrest. Probably that's that's probably why he ran, right? Well, apparently that that's that's what we're learning today. Uh, I, this is this is apparently new evidence coming out that, uh, according to the defense team, that that there was an active warrant for Javier Ambler that night, and that's why he ran. And yet the state never decided to enter that into evidence. Well, he uh, he he led uh, he led deputies on a on a twenty two minute chase. Uh, it ended in Travis County. Well, a week before the trial, the Travis County District Attorney's Office attempted to add a second charge of misdemeanor assault for Johnson. And uh, and a grand jury signed off on the assault charge, but the judge said, no, you're not going to do that. You're not going to add a charge late in the game on this one. And uh, and and that's probably the prosecutors trying to get an assault charge because they probably know they're not going to get a manslaughter charge. Yeah, I think it's pretty. I think the chances are very good that this won't stick. Well, uh, they 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 pulled a jury, and uh, and and I guess opening statements are getting underway today. But Doug O'Connell, one of the defense attorneys on social media, had more to say today. Well, this was actually uh, it was an article. Uh, KXAM is the only place I'm okay. seeing this right now. But uh, the defense, which Doug O'Connell is included, but the defense representing uh, these former deputies. Has filed a motion for sanctions. Uh, this first day of trial, opening arguments happening right now. But they allege the state of Texas violated the Texas Code of Criminal Procedure and discovery orders because they didn't produce any of ev- uh, the certain evidence related to the case. Uh, said the motion says the state did not turn over exculpatory and mitigating evidence. It says Javier Ambler Jr. According to this KXAN article, had an active warrant for his arrest when the alleged offense occurred occurred nearly five years ago. The defense attorneys are claiming information about the warrant was never produced by the state uh, in accordance with the Michael Morton Act and the court's discovery oh, orders. Interesting. Uh, it says, due to the fact that the alleged defense is nearly five years old, the motion says, states the defense attorneys are not requesting a continuance or mistrial, but they do want several sanctions to be imposed, including admonishing the jury prior to opening statements, explaining that the state did not comply with the law and court orders, prohibiting the state from using any evidence or argument that Ambler fled for any other reason than he had a warrant, prohibiting the state from imp- introducing evidence or arguing that Johnson had any other motive to stop uh, JJ J. Johnson had any motive to stop Javier Ambler other than a traffic violation and order the state to pay the defendants all reasonable cost and legal fees. Well this all began with uh, I guess Javier Ambler passing the deputies uh, passing them on a highway he right. had his bright lights on 
And, uh, well, they turned around to, uh, to chase him to get his turn his bright lights off. And he would not stop and let him on a high-speed chase. He probably ran because he has a warrant for his arrest. And in the end, he crashed out, handcuffed. And he was a big fella, big guy, real big guy. And in the end, he ended up dying. And, and uh, that, that's a very unfortunate tragedy for his family. It's also very unfortunate that this happened, that the crash happened in Travis County because Jose Garza almost immediately started drooling. More cops, I get to. And so, you know, but apparently if this, if this motion is, is accurate, the, the, the mention of uh, his, his active warrant was nowhere to be found when the, when the evidence was submitted. Well, I mean, I don't know if that means, I mean, it doesn't change the details of the story. It just explains why he ran. Well, I, that's, I, but I think that it, it further highlights the justification Why'd he die? that the deputies had for, for chasing after him. What killed him? What does the autopsy say? Uh, I, I, think it was, I think he had a heart I mean, attack. I mean, he said he had congestive heart failure. Right. Uh, but... I mean, the, for, you, you've seen the videos. He's fighting with the cops, fighting with the deputies. So they had to do something. Typically, that's going to be a taser, right? 951. Jump in here at 512-836-0590. Capital Metro's much-hyped uh, Michaela Station near the Q2 Stadium. Well, it left a lot of people, hundreds of people, uh, stranded begging for a ride Saturday after the game. Now, ahead of the game, Capital Metro CEO Dottie Watkins said they're expected to move things very smoothly after the game. Just come right back here to Michaela Station, and we'll get you a ride home. We will line up four trains sitting waiting for folks after the match is over. Well, apparently that uh, that didn't happen or it wasn't enough. Uh, the postgame things, things did not go as planned. Watkins has since issued an apology on social media and, uh, and says that Capital Metro is committed to, to getting it right next time and will uh, we'll do a better job in the future. And despite the delays, she says Capital Metro's red line transported about double the number of passengers that it usually sees uh, going to an often FC game. Well, of course, you got a new train station. Right, right. You, you, you went from zero to, to many. Right. <laughs> and, and, and yet a lot of people, I think, wanted to see the novelty of this new, this new train right there by the station. Uh, I think they had some problems. Some people had problems getting in to the station as well, you know, on their way to the game. And then... Problems once again going home. Yeah, you know, the Cheeto Vela's out there saying, "Well, I, I really appreciate Cap Metro coming out and apologizing and taking responsibility for the problems with the train service." He should try that sometime. I was just about to say, "Hey, yeah. why don't you uh, take your own advice, there, Cheeto?" Yeah, apologize, <laughs> David and Ron. Ron, good morning. Good morning, y'all. Hey, I'm, I just want to say I'm all for. I believe in when the cops tell you to do something, you do it, and then you live to fight another day. You know, you take it up in court the next day. You know, when somebody has, you know, the, the, the ability to take your life, you know. But in this, in this incident right here, we got to remember, the cops deleted to see the video of this. And I, that's not true. That's not, that's, that's not true, David. They didn't. They did, they no, did no, no, no. The, these two cops did not delete anything. Oh, no, no. You're, yeah, you're, you're right. You're yeah, these two deputies are on trial, and they did not yeah. delete anything. Right, exactly. But some, I, I was led to believe I, I was led to believe that something happened, something went wrong, you know, to where they felt like, hey, we got to delete this video, you know, not them, not them, but uh, I believe it was a sheriff in in Williamson County or Robert Chody. He's accused of that. Yeah. He's accused of deleting the video along with an attorney, J yeah. uh, Jason Nasur, I yeah. think the attorney's yeah. name. That's they're accused of that. Yeah, yeah. But these right. de these yeah, de these two I mean, deputies are not accused of that. Yeah, but you're right, the the sheriff. Yeah. 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 You know, I'm, I'm not. So I mean, that's that's what leads me to believe that something 
something happened that shouldn't have happened, you know, if you went as far as to do that. Yeah. I hear what you're saying, David. Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see as this uh, this unfolds, right? I still feel like somebody, uh, the Big Fish Entertainment or whatever they were called, the company that would lie PD. I, live I feel PD. like somebody still has. Of course. That's the kind of thing that, you know. You don't delete that. Yeah. We know reporters. We know video guys. If you got that kind of video, you don't delete it. The Todd and Oz Show, weekday mornings 5 to 10 on News Radio KLBJ. Dr. Mark Malone from Advanced Pain Care on how the spinal cord stimulator blocks pain signals, bringing patients relief at last. And we're able to tune this device to mimic that frequency and essentially block it. I've seen people shed tears of joy in the recovery room when they wake up from their light anesthesia and we turn this device on and they realize their back pain is gone. They cry for joy. Advanced Pain Care at 512-244-4272 or austinpaindoctor.com.